0: 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 23. We're going to read the whole chapter. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, just listen as I read. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. There are a number of phrases here that I'm not going to go through this morning since we covered it last week. And like I mentioned, I encourage you to read or read the notes, but to go back and listen to the sermon from last week to get a context for some of the ch- phrases that are there in the early part of this chapter in particular but last week last week as we read the same passage we saw that paul uses the metaphor of building to talk about the work that the lord is doing in each of our lives individually and in the church collectively And we looked at three important principles for building right, for building with care. You must have the right foundation, you must have the right builders, and you must have the right materials. This right foundation that we're talking about and we're singing about is Jesus alone. Our foundational truth is the gospel message. The good news of what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins. And in fulfilling God's plan for the redemption of humanity and bringing people to himself, Jesus is not only the foundation, but also the chief cornerstone and the master builder, giving strength and stability to the church. The group of people who are his and he is theirs. There's a relationship that has been established. And as Jesus builds the church, he calls each of us to learn from him how to build and then entrust the responsibility to be co-laborers with him. And what we considered last week, the final point there about the materials, Jesus empowers us to build with the right materials that will last for eternity. We're not to build with anything that would perish in the fire that tests our workmanship. Instead, we invest in the lives of others because people are precious to the Lord. We build ourselves and others up to be like gold, silver, and precious stones that can come through the fire and adorn the church for the glory of the Lord. So that's what we were considering last week. This morning, we're considering the fourth important principle for the building process. You must have the right purpose. You can have a great foundation, you can have the right builders, you can even see that the work is progressing and it is being built up in a very wonderful way, but if you don't know why it's being built, you have missed something that is vitally important. And so knowing the purpose, Knowing what the church is for. Knowing what this building of God is for and what our individual lives are for is vitally important for us at any stage in our lives and needs to be something that we constantly remind ourselves of, constantly reminding ourselves of the purpose of God so that whenever a challenge arises, when something unplanned occurs, when we are tired of the building, We get exhausted. When we don't quite see the progress. When all these things are not quite going the way that we thought. We can keep coming back to why we are doing what we're doing. And keep on doing what we're doing. So what is the purpose? So let's go back to verses 16 and 17 that we just read. It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Together we are the temple of the living God which means that the right purpose for the building, the right purpose for the building that is on the right foundation, the foundation of Jesus, the right purpose for the building that is built with the right materials by the Lord and those he appoints as his co-workers, the right purpose for that building is to be the temple of God. Now in a few weeks, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter. 6 verses 18 through 20, we're going to read this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So this is just a preview. We'll be considering the topic of sexual immorality when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But Paul's reason for why we should flee from sexual immorality is because of what he states in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and here in chapter 3. It is because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are individually temples. And together, because we collectively make up the church, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that raises a question, what is a temple? Two interconnected answers. A temple is where the presence of God is found. A temple is where the presence of God is. And two, a temple is what is dedicated for the express purpose of worshiping God for offering sacrifices and for prayer. It's in the temple That spiritual activities are carried out. And remember what we talked about when we went through these scriptures. When I say spiritual activities, we're saying that that is something that is led by and of the Holy Spirit, of God himself. Not talking about religion and tradition and all those things that we would put aside. But rather saying, what is the Holy Spirit leading us into? And those spiritual activities, where we would do that, how we would do that, would be in the temple. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, for 40 years they were wandering in the wilderness, the Lord gave them specific instructions to build a portable tabernacle, a tent, that could be easily moved around. And he said, in that tabernacle, after telling them specifically how it was to be set up, would be the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the Lord would come and dwell. And we read in the Old Testament that the presence of God was physically manifest as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night over the tabernacle. So here's the tabernacle set up in the wilderness and very tangibly, very visibly, very specifically manifest was this glory of God in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when the presence of God would move, would lift, the Israelites would pack up the ark and the tabernacle and move to wherever the Lord led them. Once they had established their kingdom in the promised land in Israel, we see in 1 1 Kings chapters 6 through 8 how King David's son, King Solomon, built a grand and permanent structure, a temple to the Lord. We read about that in 1 Kings chapter 6 through 8. And I encourage you to read all those chapters for the details. But this morning I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 8 where we read that Solomon had completed the building of the temple. The priests brought the ark into the most holy place and the cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the place. Listen to what Solomon then says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 23 through 30. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, Keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be opened toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon then goes on in verses 31 to 66 of this chapter, chapter 8, and he says this to God, that I'm summarizing here in these points. He says, when someone wrongs their neighbor and comes to the temple to set things right, hear from heaven and act. When the Israelites suffer defeat because of sin and come to the temple to repent, hear from heaven and act. When famine or plague or blight or locust or disaster or disease comes and the people come to the temple to pray for relief, hear from heaven. And act. When a foreigner, one who is not an Israelite, hears of you the true and living God and comes to this temple to pray, hear from heaven and act. When the people war against their enemies and come to the temple to pray, hear from heaven and act. When the Lord does all this and upholds the cause of his servants, Let all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. I trust you're seeing the parallels and relevance of these scriptures for us today. Solomon is very aware that although there is a manifest presence of God, physical, physical manifestation, although there is a manifest presence of God in the physical building he has constructed, God is not contained in a physical building. He's very aware of that. He understands that the God of the heavens is not right here in this building or contained in this building. And so he's praying the way that he is. He's speaking the way that he is. He is aware that for all of the things that he has done to make this magnificent building and the way that they would come there and pray and so on, there's something far greater, far more important. And for us today, although we experience the manifest presence of God in physical locations, And in our own bodies, we experience the healing of God. We experience the touch of God. We experience the power of God at work in us. We experience the inspiration of God. We open our mouths. We say something and we say, oh, that wasn't me. That was surely of the Lord. And we experience all these things of the Lord even in our lives today. But we know, we know that God is not contained in us or in the buildings or in anything else that we would point to. But the same practices that God established with the children of Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple, the same practices that they would have employed and the same prayers that Solomon prayed over that physical temple are absolutely relevant for us today in our temple. We set apart, we consecrate, we make holy, we sanctify our temple we are ourselves, our bodies as the place where God's holy presence can dwell. We offer the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, the sacrifices of our bodies and commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Even this morning we are commemorating the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and we're saying we're doing this because we are establishing these truths, we're offering these sacrifices when we come to the temple. When we wrong a brother or a sister or a brother or sister wrongs us, we come together. We come to the temple to set things right. When we suffer defeat because of sin, we come to the temple to repent. When famine or plague or blight or locust or disaster or disease comes, we come to the temple to pray for relief. When someone hears about Jesus from one of us, we invite them, we call them, we welcome them, we bring them to the temple to join in fellowship with us. When we engage in spiritual warfare, not warfare against flesh and blood, we get together, we come to the temple to battle in prayer. And when the Lord upholds our cause, all the peoples of the earth will know that the Lord is God and that there is no other I trust as you're listening to this and you're hearing this and you're understanding what I'm describing when I say that we come to the temple it is of course not to us to come to a specific physical building it is to come to gather together anywhere it could be on the street it could be in the parking lot it could be in a home it could be in a vehicle or anywhere else Because as Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, For wherever two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Wherever we who are the living stones of the temple meet, wherever we who are carrying the presence of God meet, wherever we serve in all the ways that in a temple there would be that kind of service. The Lord himself is in our midst. So we're coming to the presence of the Lord. We are carrying the presence of the Lord. We're joining with those that are in the presence of the Lord. And we're forming The temple, And so all these things that I'm talking about and all these truths that carry over even in terms of how Solomon dedicated that temple in the Old Testament and all these practices and all these prayers that we would do now, it is in this coming together. It is in this joining together. It is in this communion, in this fellowship that we would say, we come to the temple. We come and we offer our sacrifices. We come and we pray. We come and we rejoice. We come and we celebrate. Because together we are the temple of the living God. Now, you see, we listen to all of this and we have to respond to the word of God and we as respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by committing to and yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we are built up in Christ as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can't just simply say, oh God, I understand your truth and I understand that there is the temple of the Lord and our body is the temple of God. Okay, I get it. But then do nothing with it. But our application of it would be that we would commit to and we would earnestly, sincerely, with all that is in us, build this body of Christ, this temple of the Lord, this church. Now, in all the things that I'm describing, I have purposely used the words God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit interchangeably when referring to the temple because the Bible uses them in that way to make it clear that there is only one God manifest in three persons who is present in the temple and to whom alone all the glory of our temple is due. One God. Manifest in three persons who is present in the temple. And as we do that, as we worship him, all the glory goes to him. Now, let me make this point that the people of Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, the places that Paul was writing letters to and he's describing these truths and he's talking about these things, they were very familiar with physical temples and the purpose of these physical temples. They were very aware of it. So when he writes about temples, they have an immediate contrast that they can make or comparison even. They can even look at what is around them in their immediate context and say, oh, I get this. This is what he's describing. But what they were confronted with then and what we continue to be confronted with today is that the Bible takes what is familiar and redefines it in terms of what God thinks, not what we think. Last week I was pointing out that it is necessary for us to realize and then to come into alignment with the mind of Christ that is given to us, with the Holy Spirit that is available, that is willing, that is eager to teach, to instruct, and to bring us into alignment with the Word of God. But when we do that, when we start to think like Jesus would think, then we start to realize, oh, this is what the purpose of the temple is. And God is taking... Even when Solomon built the temple in the Old Testament, I don't know how many of you realize this, but the cultures around them, the, the people groups in, the, in that part of the world had temples and in fact had temples that were of the exact same dimensions. So the dimensions that God describes to Solomon and he says the outer coat must be like this and then the holy place must be like this and then the most holy place must be like this and then you must do this and then you must have that. There were temples around them that were exactly the same dimensions. And, but the difference was that God says that I take what is familiar to you and transform it to show you that this is not a temple that is in a place or temples are not these physical buildings that you, human beings, would build to define or to, to elaborate your purposes. Temples are what I build, what God builds for divine purpose. And that's the difference. That we wouldn't look at these things, we wouldn't look at the church, we wouldn't look at ourselves and say, we're making something big, we're gaining more people, we're doing something to, you know, to establish ourselves, we've got the name established. No, but rather we would say, Lord God, you build the church, you build this group, You continue to pour yourself into us so that what is manifest is not our purpose being fulfilled, but your purpose being fulfilled. What should we do then? How then should we live as temples of God? How do we look at this and say, okay, I'm a temple. I have the presence of God. I'm called to carry the presence of God. Well, we must build with care. We have a responsibility to consecrate ourselves in every way for the Lord. We have to be vigilant about what comes into our heart. We talked about this even earlier and through even the call to worship. We have to be vigilant about what comes into our whole being. In our spirit, in our soul, in our body. That through our physical and spiritual senses... It is what comes into our heart. Mark chapter 7 verse 15 makes it clear. It's what comes into our heart and what comes out of our heart that defiles us. And so we pay attention. We build with care. We are deliberate. We're intentional. We're saying, Lord, help me to be vigilant, discerning about what's coming in. And help me to be Lord, obedient, submissive, led by the Spirit, to be careful about what goes out, because that's what's going to express the truth of God or not the truth of God. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak, and so there is a need for us to build with care as we do this. Now, let me, as we do this, as we're building the temple, as we're paying attention to this as we're, you know, saying, Lord God, help me to pay attention to what comes into my spirit, into my soul, into my body, and so on. Let me also make this point about verse 17. We read in verse 17 that it is not that the temple can't be destroyed. Meaning, he says, if the temple is destroyed, woe to the one who destroys it, or that the Lord will deal with the one who destroys it. What's the point? Or what's the what's the truth to know there? Temples can be destroyed. Right? And we're talking about the application here, and I want to point out that when we come to Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 16, many months from now, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16, Paul states this: "Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, although our physical bodies are wasting away although our minds can be impacted, although there are all sorts of things that come at us and cause us to say, oh, the temple is being destroyed, even when it happens that way, we pray for and care for the temple as long as we live on earth. We care for our bodies. We care for our soul. We care to build with deliberate, with, with deliberate wisdom so that we can continue to carry the presence of the Lord for all our days. At the end of our days on earth, we could die a violent death or we could die peacefully in our sleep. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. That's not our concern. The thing that we have to be responsible for and focused on is how are we living the days of our life on earth. The Lord will account for what happens to his temple. If our temple, if our bodies are destroyed because somebody did something to it, don't worry about it. The Lord will take care of it. But we have a responsibility to continue to build for all our days. We instruct our children. We pass on to the next generation. And we tell them how they can build and how they can be the temples of God. We get together as often as we can with others who are also carrying the presence of God and I mentioned this last week, too, that we find every opportunity to get together and encourage one another. Why? We want to be of, with those who are of like precious faith. We want to gather with those who are of one mind and one accord. Why? To worship God, to fulfill the purpose of this temple. Why? What's the point of having a temple if you're not do, using it in the right way? So we come together, we do these things, and we say, Lord God, do your work in our midst. Build your church. And we encourage one another to labor, to continue to labor for the Lord, no matter how old you may be, no matter how young you may be, no matter how much you know and how much you don't know. We encourage one another and we say, let's keep doing this. Let's keep building together so that the temple remains strong and vibrant. When someone comes to this, or any local church, when they join with this specific group of people, or a specific group of people, if we are the temple of God, since we are the temple of God, we must collectively experience the life of Light, love, conviction, repentance, forgiveness, grace, healing, deliverance, intercession, answers, provision, blessings, instruction, and building up of the Lord. That's what God is calling us to. If we're joining with a group of people, it's not because they have the best building, it's not because they have the best programs. It's not because they have the most beautiful people. It's because we are joining with that group of people to say, Lord God, I want to experience these things together with them. I want to join with these, my brothers and sisters, and to see your kingdom come and your power manifest. I want to labor together with these folks to build one another up. I want to see the church grow. What would the difference be if our church and every church was that way. That every church was formed on these foundations, was being built up in this way, and was showing the life of Christ in this kind of manifest presence, so that when people walked in, they would say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. What would the difference be? I venture to say that churches would be full to overflowing not because of any other reason than because they are truly the temple of the Lord. So this morning I want to challenge us and I want to encourage us that as a church we would commit. We would say Lord God I want to build. I want to build and I don't just want to build in some physical way or some program way or something like that I want to build with this group of people I want to commit in such a way that you will cause this group of people to come into all that you have purposed for us let us be your temple let us be your church let us be built up for the Lord Heavenly Father we thank you so much that Lord when we commit our ways to you you tell us how to walk with firm steps when we commit our church to you you build it up in the best way possible help us not Lord to think of anything else or to try to do anything else in our own strength we want you to build this temple and we want you to fill this temple and we want you to Lord fulfill the purpose of this temple come Lord Jesus come We invite you, Lord, to build. Lord, to continue to build. We yield to you. Help us not to get in the way, but to, Lord, be yielded and obedient to you so that as you tell us what to do, we will do it right away. And, Lord, we want you to fill this temple, Lord, with your presence. Unless you go with us, unless you are here, how can we proceed? And so, Lord, in each one of us individually, Father, for each and every person, Lord, I pray that you would fill them. Fill the bodies that are the temple of the Holy Spirit with your presence, with your Holy Spirit. Filled to overflowing. And I pray, Father, that you would fill this church. You would fill this church with your presence. This church meaning this gathering of people. And so, Lord, maybe we're meeting online. Maybe we're meeting in person. Maybe we're meeting in some other way. Maybe we're just talking to somebody on the phone. Maybe, Lord, we're communicating in some other way. But, Lord, whenever we do that, we pray, Father, that you will come and you will be in our midst and you will fill us with your presence. And then, Lord, as you do that, as you continue to cause us to mature individually and collectively, we are praying, Lord, that you will fulfill the purpose for this church. Father, as our, as our mission We want to love you, love others, and make disciples. Help that, Lord, to be what is happening with strength in these days. That, Lord, throughout the days of our lives, we will see that mission being fulfilled. We will, Lord, see you, Lord, being lifted up. We will love you with all that we have. We will love other people in every possible way that we can. And Lord, we would see disciples being made, maturing in Christ. Oh, Lord God, let it be our reality. Let it be our truth. Come, Lord Jesus, build your temple. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.